1: To be honest, I was scared reaching out for help, because I was like, this could totally ruin
0: my career.
1: Somebody to have a more proactive approach, and that he was coming to me to be that person. They found him, and he committed suicide. I just started screaming. I just felt responsible.
0: Hello everyone, I am Tim Lawson, founder and host of the One Too Many Veteran Suicide Project. If this is your first time listening, welcome and thank you for taking the time to hear the powerful stories behind suicide in the veteran space. As I mentioned last week, I ask that you respect my guests and their stories, especially those that wish to remain anonymous. I want everyone to feel comfortable with their decision to come forward and share, and I do not want anyone to regret that decision. This project is ultimately made possible because of the wonderful support I've gotten from all of you and from the people who have come forward as sponsors. This week's sponsor is Oscar Mike. Noah Courier, who's the founder of Oscar Mike, Marine Veteran, and Quadriplegic, joined me on the Veteran Empire podcast just a few months ago and had great admiration for this project when I told him about it. Oscar Mike was kind enough to spread the word about the project and give it the early recognition to help boost my efforts. Noah Currier will be joining me this week uh, and today's podcast guest on a panel in Nashville on June 18th. For more information on that event, go to 12 com slash events, and to learn more about Oscar Mike and the awesome things that they're doing, head over to 12 com slash Oscar Mike. Today's guest is Marine veteran Zachary Bell. Zach is a good friend of mine who I also met through the Veteran Empire podcast. After that first interview with him, we both knew that we'd be working together again. Zach has been helping put together that important panel that's occurring in nashville and after our first in-person meeting he agreed to come on to this show and share his story while zach did not request to remain anonymous anonymous himself he does wish to keep his late friend anonymous so please if you know who the subject is in this story please keep it to yourself and respect zach's wishes to keep his friend anonymous so i mean so zach go ahead you know sort of tell us sort of um you know set up the the story a little bit with Sort of how you, how you met your friends, um, and sort of what sort of rapport you had, um, going into, into a suicide. I met my, uh, friend,
1: uh, right when I got to my unit, um, fresh out of SOI and stuff. He was always one of those guys who was, was always happy and fun to be around and just, uh, one of the, uh, guys I always loved, uh, when I was on barracks duty because it was always entertaining a uh, suit of her antics he was plaguing the uh, the battalion with and stuff, and it was all good natured fun. He was just always a real out- outgoing dude he he always uh, tried to make everything as fun as possible whenever you interacted with him and uh you know, it's weird because you really develop bonds and stuff with all the different guys in your unit and they start to become your family and different things like that, and especially him because he was he was a little younger than all the rest of us he'd actually uh just barely made the age cut to get in and you know in military it's all varying ages people coming on enlistment as opposed to majority of officers who are pretty much all in the same age range or stage in their life you know we did our two deployments together and after we got back in 2011 everybody just kind of 2011 everybody started getting out and went on their uh, separate ways you know, now I've come to realize a little bit that that's the hardest time for everyone is the first year to two years out of the military is a transitional period of trying to redefine yourself as a person and, uh, trying to, uh, find your, like, way in the world. Cause it's tough because when you're in the middle of Afghanistan, like, anything seems better at the time. So, to try and develop an idea of what you want to do with your life is, what you're constantly doing but at the same time there's no real concept of like you know what am I going to do am I going to like this what school am I going to is that even a career I want to do or things like that so we all just kind of went our separate ways and stay in contact with each other and uh he was actually living with two other marines that were in the same unit down in Florida me personally I was going through a, a really rough transition time because I had this idea at the moment that I was going to go into medicine or something um, along the lines in the medical field of just trying to uh, do something completely different from Marine Corps Infantry, and um, I'd always noticed that I was really fascinated by the way the body works and all the different things that come together, and really, I think I just wanted to prove I could do something that was uh, for a greater good, as opposed to what I had felt like I had done for so long, just to prove that I can do something good besides like cause harm and all the stuff that like comes with war. I was kind of lost at the same time, but it's weird because everyone was lost at the same time, but nobody talks about it because it's just like the peaks and valleys of life and the readjustment period as it comes and happens with different things as they're um, as you're going forward and uh, I was working this job at a hospital working like three days a week and going to school full time but I was working night shifts so there'd be days where I would stay up for you know at least 24 hours or going back to back and never really had any free time and if I did I was either studying um, and doing my homework or trying to just find a little bit of time I could share with my family late 2011 in the fall I was driving home one day from work and I was exhausted and, um, I was in my neighborhood and, uh, there was this really bad fog storm that had come through and it even caused like this huge wreck on this road, like a 45 car pileup, uh, north of Nashville. And, um, I, uh, it was like probably like 500 feet from my house and, um, there's this work truck and I had this little Toyota, you know, it was a little Nissan pickup that I had, um, just pay cash for something, just go back and forth to school in. And um, then I um, saw this work truck and I thought I had enough space and I didn't. I ended up wrecking it out uh, right there. And um, it was tough because like at the time with doing night shift and staying up so long and not really having any sort of a life outside of that, I uh, realized now that like I was pretty much like on a tipping point because it had taken me so long to get a job and to be able to find a house for my family and we just started like building all these things and moving our life forward and here I was I'd wrecked out the only vehicle I had. My wife had one, but we still needed another just for me. I started to to get really, really depressed again because like when I'd gone on interviews for like I don't say it was like nine to ten months or however long it was, yeah, it was just constant rejection, constant failure and just having to like come home and tell my wife like one more thing didn't work just heartbreaking always having to feel like i was just letting her down when at the same time i felt like i was doing all i could to make everything happen i was pretty depressed i was really really depressed i didn't know what to do and i just felt alone about that time my friend had uh, sent something to me on facebook just messaging me and uh, we were just talking asking each other how things were. he had said a few things that him and his, he just hadn't really found things that were going on at the time, and he was looking into going back into the Marine Corps, but he'd done all the stuff to try to go back in, and they told him no, like right at the end of the process, kind of dragging him along for a few months, and he was just depressed too. Looking back on it now, and knowing what I know, not just about the outcome, but just the the steps people take when they choose this path. But he was kind of reaching out. But, I mean, it wasn't just me. It was just, I mean, it was everyone. He was reaching out to other people and just trying to talk and communicate because I always say that when you're in the military, PTSD isn't as big as a problem as it is on the outside because when you're surrounded by the same type of crazy, it seems normal. I uh, just um, didn't really think much of it. He just said something. We just... Stop talking. I don't want to say I just went to bed or something. And a few days later, I was driving. My wife was driving me to this dealership. We found this car, and I was going to go buy it. And I was just depressed even more because, you know, we just started to build up our savings accounts, started to move forward, and things were, like, on level and stable ground for the first time in a long time. My phone rang. I'm sitting in the passenger seat, and I answered it. It was one of the fellow Marines I'd served with, and he said, uh, he said, Zach, what's, what's going on, man? I was like, not much, brother. How's it going? And that's the reason I answered was because it was such an odd time for this guy to be calling me because he, uh, lives in Chicago and, uh, it was real early morning for him. Um, since he's behind a few hours from, from me, um, it was just unusual. I just didn't expect it. He was like, uh, Hey, have you heard yet? And I was like, no, what happened? Our junior Marines were just finishing up their their second deployment, and uh, we'd already, my family and I had already made plans to go see him at the beginning of the year in 2012. Uh, my first thought was, "Oh no, one of my one of my guys has died. One of the guys I trained has died. It's completely my fault. Like I should have stayed with him." It was just a sense of guilt um, slash um, burden. Or I don't really know what to call it, but you know, to anybody who's like never been in the military, the one thing that they probably missed out on the most is being able to watch boys become men and being able to see that process happen to where someone who doesn't think they're capable of the, doing much with their career or even succeeding that it goes on to surpass not only uh, their expectations but yours as well. And so, you still always feel that last sense of, you know, did I not teach him one more thing? Did I not say one more thing they could have remembered or something like that? And he's like, no, dude, um, he had told me my friend had died. He was dead. They had found him. And he had committed suicide. I just started screaming. I was like, no. No, he didn't. No, he didn't that didn't happen he's like yeah man it, it happened i'm sorry i don't know what to say and uh, he's like have you called some of the other guys and i was like N- no no i haven't and he's like well i'm gonna keep calling people and you do the same and i was like i will and by that time i was the tears were just streaming down my face and my wife asked me what was wrong and i was like just pull over." just pull over and we arrived right on the side of the interstate and uh, I got out of the car because my kids were in the back and I didn't want to scare them I didn't really want them to see me like that and uh, I was like he's dead he committed suicide and I don't, I don't really know how long it was she said it was just for like a minute or two but it felt like a lifetime of me just sitting there crying, feeling like a failure, because uh, I just felt responsible, and it's not like I felt responsible in the way somebody feels when they have a, someone they've trained or something, but it was responsible in the fact of that you know, we all went through like these things together and grew up together in Afghanistan, and uh, to have lost somebody when we come back home and especially when it was right there and it was so close, probably the worst fact of all. Because I, I used to kind of blame myself that if I hadn't been so wrapped up in my own um, self-pity of what was happening in my life, maybe I could have done something more. I just fell to pieces. After that, we went and got the car and I drove home. And uh, I just sat in the car in the driveway for like 30 minutes when I got there. Just didn't want to talk to anyone. I called a few more people. They called me and trying to figure out what had happened and different things, and found out what had happened. That was the day my life
0: changed. How so? How did this event change your life? It yeah.
1: was um, it was a turning point for me because I realized that it's really easy. I mean, to anybody who ever says that, like it's not easy to commit suicide. Especially if you're a veteran, they don't know anything. Like when you go to a job and a reader's, you can't get them, or you can't, they're out school, or things just aren't happening, and the constant rejections and stuff that come from the post military transition, you start to realize that the thing that people don't like about you is the thing that defines you. And there's no way to not hate yourself. It's really easy. I just realized that there has to be something that can be done, you know, I mean, one of our best, one of our favorite things to do together was all of us to hang out and, you know, have the camaraderie of brotherhood, and, you know, that was the best part about the military. It was the foundation of what changed my life, because after that, and it was still fresh in my mind, and um, I just started to think of how to get involved with veterans' organizations, and I started to look around at you know, all the big name ones, or what to do, just to try and develop some type of network of veterans that were close to my age, or and families, stuff like that, and see if that's something that can be developed, or if there was something going on currently. I went to North Carolina to see all my guys after they got back, and David got there. was actually a memorial ceremony um, for the guys that had been lost, and I knew like one or two of them not very well. I'd just only seen them once or twice in passing. And, um, I was sitting in the Camp Lejeune Amphitheater, and I remember looking up there at all those battlefield crosses. I was thinking, man, you know, this still happens. I felt like I just wanted to do something. I'd actually met my two junior Marines who had trained the most, um, I was a team leader before I became a squad leader, and uh, they were both there, and they'd you know gone up in rank and made me really proud. And when I got them, you know, they were kids; they were eighteen. You know, I was by no way, no means a man or anything, but definitely been on one point at that time and a little a little more uh, legitimacy and experience and stuff. And I remember when I saw them, they were just like bright eyed and bushy tailed and so full of like promise and life and stuff. But when I saw them after this deployment, I didn't see that anymore. They didn't even look like the guys that I had left. I could see that they were just like me and they were they were hurting. And they were just full of pain. I just wanted to help them. And that was it. Because all I could think is that if I have to go to another memorial or go to another grave or do one more thing to where I lose another brother to this thing or just don't know that I don't know how I'll be able to go on because I'll just feel like I failed then. And uh, those two events brought together the process of me trying to find a way to get involved with the veterans organization to find a meaningful impact so much and be try be able to try and continue to be there for all of uh, my Marines and stuff in the next phase of their life.
0: Hey, you mentioned, you know, if you hadn't been caught up in your own life, maybe you could have been there more um, for your friend. I mean, had you been, have you been given the opportunity to have a little bit more attentiveness to his issues? I mean, what what do you think you would have done?
1: I don't know. I, I, I'll tell you, like, when he sent me the messages and stuff, I, I read over him, you know, thousands of times for months on end until I just finally had to delete him I couldn't look at him anymore because I just felt like he was just trying to reach out just to talk and honestly I feel like he was probably trying to ask me the same thing that I wanted to ask him was that do you feel this way too or am I just the only one because it's a really weird thing like even admitting to a fellow veteran that you know times are tough and you're different because <clears throat> you're just ingrained with this idea that asking for help is a sign of weakness for so long and it's hard to turn it off, you know, especially with the people that learn those same things with you. And, uh, I just, I, I don't know if I could have done something. I don't know what would have happened to me if he hadn't done that. I've learned with death in just particular that it's not the ones that are just like the private smockatellis or, you know, the ones that weren't, you know, the guys who were just phoning it in or weren't involved. You know, they're not the ones that leave you. It's the ones that matter the most. And it's the ones that have, like, had a part in somebody, in everyone's lives to uh, lesser or greater roles. And um I don't know, because I was... I was so caught up in what was going on in my life that I felt like I was on the verge trying to find a way out because it was tough because the thing that I loved so much was being in the Marine Corps. Like I could have done it every day for the rest of my life, but I didn't want to walk away from my family anymore. And then to be doing worse in life after making the decision to leave the one thing that I knew I was good at and that I loved so much. I mean, that was just too heavy sometimes. It was nauseating. And so I feel like my friend taught us all something. And it's just that we're not alone. I mean, ever since then, a whole lot more than ever, um, it's opened up a conversation between just about myself and all of my uh, Marines or peers or juniors, depending on what time or, or even readers to me have just been able to talk about this thing more honestly because it hits so you know it's you know when you see the numbers and statistics and stuff and even as I see them every day, you know it's still hard to understand the meaning and value of it until it hits so close to home and it's someone that you know in such a great way. Because until then, it just feels like, you know, one of those statistics that you hear, like so many people getting car wrecks or crash and stuff like that. Until you've experienced it, you don't really understand it.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> one, th- I'm mean, gonna have a couple more questions for you. But one of the things that is so disheartening, Zach, is, I mean, I've I've done. You know, a couple dozen interviews specific for the One Too Many Project. I've had hundreds of conversations about this, you know, just in the past like five months. I've had hundreds of conversations about veteran suicide and the stigma and the problems and, you know, mental health issues. And it's just so disheartening to hear, I didn't know I wasn't the only one or I thought I was the only one or I didn't know anybody else felt like this. And it's so, it's so crazy to hear so many people say, this statement, when that's not the case, you know, it's it's so it's it's amazing that so many people are thinking this. They're thinking that are they're the only one, or they don't think anybody knows how they feel. When when that's like one of those common things I'm hearing from from people I talk to, and it's um you know, and that's one thing that we're hoping to try to communicate, you know, with this project is that you're not the only one. We're all aware of it, and it's time that we all start talking to each other about it. You know, so so I first asked you you know if you know going back to when you were talking with him if you weren't uh you know if you were able to be more attentive what you what you would have done and you answered that now I wonder if let's say the same scenario happens today do you think you're able to pick up on the signs a little bit easier do you think that you're able to um to be more proactive on on what's going on I would say yes
1: and no yes i am more aware of like the steps that people make when they're um <clears throat> Developing a plan to commit suicide, uh, you know things like wrapping up final business, saying goodbyes to people, you know finishing up affairs, uh, making a plan, stuff like that. Talking about it, different things like all the procedural steps. But the no part comes in is just the fact of that you can only get what they want to give you. Like some days are really. Really don't like my job. I don't like it at all. Um, just because it's hard. It's like really taxing. Like this right now will result <laughs> in me just having to take a a moment to myself and just gather everything before I go home. Um, and it's hard, like fleshing out some of the worst parts in your life and trying to find the meaning and good out of it. Because even as you're doing it, it still doesn't always feel comfortable. Like, I have this one rule. If I ever get to this place to where I'm able to talk about these things and I'm not emotionally taxed afterwards, that I'll walk away from all of it. Because then it won't have any value, it won't be real, and it won't be genuine. And then that'll be something I'll have to address if should that ever happen. Because that means I've become complacent. And uh, but I don't know any other way to do it. So it's like catch twenty two. Like I'll take you know fifteen, twenty minutes of doing a presentation or doing a podcast or doing anything and everything, you know writing, blogging, talking, you know whatever type of form of communication I can do to get out there just to try and let someone know they're not alone. Because I much further carry the burden of it being taxing on me than to have to have, like, one more day in my calendar where I have to remember someone I lost.
0: I mean, I think you've made some very powerful points without actually addressing certain points, if that makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... I guess really the only question, I guess the next question that I would have, and this possibly would be one to round off the conversation, you know, since you're in an organization that, you know, tries to fight the invisible wounds of war and you've experienced this personally and you've seen it with, you know, your friend dying and, um, you know, you've seen it in your in your junior marines who are obviously just as taxed as you are with the environment and what's what's occurring. Do you, you know, 2014, I mean, just in the past like few months, we've seen a huge influx of, cur- of coverage on veteran suicide and addressing an issue. Um, I mean, do you, do you think that what you're seeing is, is, are you hopeful about what you're seeing, um, in, in the news and, in the steps that other organizations are taking to, uh, to fight this or do you think we still have a lot to figure out
1: I am hopeful one instance of where I've seen this work in, in my life especially and um it was uh, just over a year ago where I had um a junior marine who I had trained uh ever since he first got there and you know the the lord didn't see didn't see fit to give me a son so um, if there's anything that'll be close to it, it'll be him. Even down to the way he walks and talks and made very proud and even took over my job and went to high rank and all these different things. And, um, he just recently got out military and, um, we were talking. And for some reason, I just, I just called him one day driving home from the VA and, uh, we just started talking. And, um, he was holding something back and I just kind of, Prod him a little bit, and I'm like, you, you can talk to me, man. You know, we've been through a lot together. So I had this really tight bond because when I was just a team leader, he was my point man, right? And I always used to say, it's just you and me up here, Bubba. And, um, we always talk and communicate, even down to where he can move his arm. I knew what he was trying to say. Just because being in the front of the patrol, having to navigate all the stuff that comes with that is tough. And so we had to develop this strong relationship. And, um, regardless of the fact that you know, he, he was um, just married at the time, and I have a wife and two kids. Um, I made a vow to myself that I would never ask any of my junior Marines to do something that I wasn't willing to do or going to do it. And when it came particular to me and him, we did everything hand in hand um, because I just felt that was the way it had to be done. And so we have this really tight bond, which I thought was just transparent. In every aspect of our lives, but he didn't want to tell me that he was going through the same issues or that he had had some really close calls with us. And he was so ashamed. I remember I could hear in his voice like how like, it almost felt like he was hanging his head like as he was talking to me because he didn't want to tell me what was going on because I I knew that he was scared that I would be like let down or upset with him. When it was the complete opposite, and so it's the the best example of even as close as you think that you are with people, you only get what they give you. But after a few days of trying to get him into a few different programs and treatment he needed, took a um a little bit of time and effort, but we were able to um get him in there, and now he's uh, got a great job. he's graduated school. He's doing all these different things, and like. I can see the change and like how different he is. And uh, that moment when you look at someone and you see that they remember what it's like to believe in themselves and that they're worth it is the reason I still do this. Um, It's amazing. And so when I see that happen, I feel like the veteran military culture is becoming more open to the idea of sharing what's going on <clears throat> in their lives and stuff. But just recently, there's the Ford Hood shooting. You know, it was a horrible incident, and uh, all the things have happened. I saw a lot of media coverage of kind of just grasping at what I call, like, low-hanging fruits and directly, you know, tying, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder to um, violence and everything else, which in my opinion and many others couldn't be any farther from the truth. Yeah. There's been an evolving conversation of the fact of like what post traumatic stress is. Like military post traumatic stress is like one of the smallest parts of it. I mean, just think about how many people have served in the military as proportionate to how many people have been in car wrecks, you know, had uh, horrible childhoods or yep, absolutely. You know, rape, murder, victims, crime, anything that could happen that's traumatic. That's why it's called post-traumatic stress. It's from a traumatic event in your life. But my group, our group, is segmented with all these different evils and things, and that's what'll stop the growth of the military veteran world is this perpetuating uh, and fear-mongering of that Like we're all just going to do all these horrible things all the time, which... I have seen like some of the most god awful things in this world like things that I'll never forget and I'm fine with that because I was able to see like mankind at its darkest moments I was able to see the violence that man will commit against each other in the name of what one believes is good over the other and I don't try and justify it because war is completely unjustifiable no matter which side that you're on. Um, But it was what I volunteered to do, and I'm very grateful for the experience because through those darkest times, I was able to see mankind at its greatest. Um, I had to walk this line between life and death to understand what it truly means to live. I have a better understanding, and as I feel all military members do, of life and humanity and, like, what it means to live that I I pity all those who haven't because they don't really understand, like, how precious life is or how quickly it can go. You know, if that, if, you know, if the direct correlation between violence and military PTSD was real, then why is it that veterans at, you know, different organizations are volunteering to go back and, do different things like the mission continues where they're shaping their community with community service projects or Team Rubicon who has different re- regions all over the country of veterans that come together and launch at a moment's notice to aid in disaster relief. Right? It was started by a bunch of Marines who just wanted to help out and they couldn't get a ride down to Haiti so they just did it themselves just because they wanted to give back. Now, somebody has the audacity to think that these same type of people who just want to do some good, at the same time only want to commit violence, is beyond ignorant, proof that society is just scared of what they don't understand, and oftentimes too lazy to put the effort in to want to do it.
0: Zach, this has been a very powerful conversation, and I... I... Appreciate your willingness to talk to me and really expressing your emotion within the context. And, um, you know, I, like most of my like most of my interviews that I do, a lot of people come into it with an idea of what they might want to say or what they think what they think uh, they can communicate across. Is there anything that we haven't covered um, yet in this discussion that you uh, would like to touch on regarding either the story that you just told us or, or veteran suicide in general?
1: The majority of men and women who are committing suicide right now are men and women who are 50 and older. What I take from that is the hardest truth of all, and that is that unless there's a better education and understanding of what's going on, and what this really is, and how it's not a crippling thing, it's just something that has shaped who you are, that that's the path our generation of veterans is going to head. Because these are people who have lived with this thing for so long, for fear of persecution, judgment, for all the different things that people fear more now than ever, that it literally was came to a point where it was too much for them to bear. And there's no reason for that. That someone who's you know, over half, you know, just over halfway through their life. And they, uh, they still have this thing that's been eating them up for so long that they just couldn't handle it anymore. And that bothers me to no end. You know, it, it definitely has, when I first read the census data from the VA, it did a complete 180 on the way that I viewed. Older veterans and stuff, because I'm like, wow, these guys have such a level of strength and understanding that I could never probably come close to. You know, I've been lucky to have come out through this, be a part of this era of veterans and to a point where, you know, it's, it's not completely changed, but there's something that's being done. And, um, I can imagine for so many years, if I'd even made it, if I even made it that long of burying
0: this thing. Zach, you're a, g- you're a great guy. Um, and I, and I say that sort of in jest to, uh, to lighten the mood and also in sincerity and in, in the fact that, um, I think that your obvious genuine drive towards wanting to aid veterans in their post-military life and within their mental health afterwards or even during, um, I think is something that a lot of people admire and, and would be a hundred percent um, behind supporting. So, um, I want to personally thank you for your efforts and, and trying to, uh, trying to aid, um, veterans that are, that are suffering through these, these similar issues. No, it's,
1: um, it's a group effort. It's definitely been because of things like this that you're doing that the message is able to get out there. Because I take, I take more from this than anyone else. Because every day I get up and I, I think to myself, you know, maybe if I just do one more thing or say one more word or just, Try and help out. That I could be the person that could have been there for my friend. And that I had wished had been there for me when I needed them the most. And just to be able to see the change happen when people know that they're not alone, that there is hope and that they can get through this. You know, this is why I call it work therapy. It's the hardest, best job in the
0: world. I'm really grateful for it. As I edited this interview with Zach, I was blown away with how many powerful points he makes about his personal struggles, the loss of his friend, and how he views the trials veterans face inside the military and afterwards. The interview portion of this episode was so strong, I didn't want to edit it down at all, so I I will keep my reflections and remarks short. Last week... Last week, I took the lead in sharing my story. I told my own story of suicidal behavior. And this week, we show the importance of sharing our struggles with each other. Zach points out how we need to admit that we're not the only ones going through these troubles and that we can empathize with each other. Once we establish that empathy and realize that we're not alone, we can begin to recover together just as we fought together. And while we're talking with each other, Listening is crucial. I talked with Dr. Tracy Clements at the University of Utah about signals from suicidal people and she told me that 80% will provide signs of suicidal intentions.
2: You know, there's, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the, the myths that surround um, suicide and suicidal behavior. and This is um, not, you know, just for veterans or active duty personnel. This, this is something that can be applied to anyone. Um, you know, one of, one of the ones um, that I often hear sometimes from, from family members or friends um, are that people who die from suicide don't warn others. Um, and actually, the truth is about eight out of 10 people who um, end up dying by suicide give definitive clues um, to their intentions. Um, and those clues or, or warnings um, can vary from very specific Um, statements about, I want to die, I want to kill myself, I'm going to kill myself, to um, behaviors such as maybe giving away personal possessions, um, you know, wanting to tie up affairs, um, financial affairs, things like that. Things that are maybe a little bit out of the ordinary, but not as obvious. But, you know, a lot of times people think that, you know, that, that individuals who end up dying by suicide don't give off any warning um, or clues. And in fact, about 80% actually do.
0: Zach is a great example of how wanting to make a difference starts with getting involved somewhere. It's about doing what you know and finding a place to do it. I know how to podcast. So I started this project. Zach took what he knew and joined courage beyond courage beyond is my resource for the week. It has a handful of services that they can offer you or a loved one, and as you heard from the sincerity of Zach's story, they take what they do very seriously. Go to slash services to discover the different ways they can assist you with counseling, retreats, and getting help. Lastly, I'm privileged to thank my Kickstarter backers. They helped get this project off the ground. Rita Hertel, Deanna Rodriguez, Scott Sennett, Lee Flint, Karen Boyton, thank you again for your support and your generosity.
2: We hope you've taken something from this episode. If you'd like to learn more, please connect with us on our website, one2manyproject.com. That's O-N-E, the number two, manyproject.com. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, iTunes, and Stitcher, all linked from our site. Lastly, if you'd like to support the project by becoming a sponsor, contact Tim at timlawson21 at gmail.com or going to one too many dot com slash sponsorship. Thanks again. We'll see you next week.